Psalm 144 was written by David. And uh, I really want to focus in on the statement, um, Blessed is the Lord who trains my hands for war. You know, that statement, it teaches us something about God that's really important that the church learns and embraces. Our God is not a passive, weak, wimpy God. He is a God who trains his men for war. There's no doubt that when David wrote this, it had application to the physical wars that David fought. David, David was a man of literal human warfare. Uh, he had yielded the sword for many, many years. But when we read the verse in context, which is why I had us read verse 2, we see that David has this much bigger picture of war that he's talking about. David is really speaking of the whole lifetime of spiritual warfare that he had lived up to this point. He says, the Lord is my refuge. The Lord is my deliverer. The Lord is my shield. And so David is he's, he's telling us that while, yes, the Lord has trained his hands for physical war, that the great war that of life that he has lived through, the great war between God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom, the great war is ultimately between light and darkness, and we see that God himself is the one who trains our hands for this war. I pray this morning the Lord will help me to preach on a very simple concept, men of war. We have to have the right strategy to win the spiritual wars that we fight, men. We have to understand that we are in a war. Whether you like it or not, the devil has already declared war on you. You can stick your head in the sand and think, well, I'm not in some spiritual war. Yes, you are. You're just fooled. We need desperately in this era of time men of God to rise up with the warrior spirit that we are warriors for the kingdom of God and we're going to stand for what's right. We're going to speak what is right. We're going to live what is right no matter what comes our way. Without a proper strategy, it's just about impossible to win any war. And considering that our enemy is Satan himself, I would argue it is impossible to win any spiritual wars without a strategy. Many of Christians will live their life without a proper strategy for the spiritual warfare that they face. And those Christians will live most of their lives beat up spiritually. It is possible, I don't like saying this term, but I don't know how else to say it, it's possible to make it to heaven by the skin of your teeth. Beat up your whole Christian life, never really doing anything for the kingdom of God, gripped by anxiety and panic and fear and worry and doubt, 
never doing anything to advance the kingdom, but you're still saved. You're just beat up your whole Christian life. I don't want to limp into heaven that way. And more importantly than what I want, we must understand God's plan, God's design isn't for us to limp into heaven. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors. That's what we are. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, there has been a war against men in this country. It's been going on for several years. So I want to talk to you about how do we be effective warriors in the kingdom of God? How do we be men of war? We must see the great need of the hour is that God would train our hands for war. This is the term the Bible uses, war. When I talk about war this morning, I'm talking about spiritual warfare. And for us men, we tend to be guys that just want to be told what to do. So I'm going to be brief this morning, I'm going to be direct this morning, and my points are really easy, men. I think my points are like four words each. Five actions that we all need to take if we're going to win our spiritual battles. Number one, you have to acknowledge the conflict. You have to acknowledge that you are in war. There has never been a people on the planet who have won a war they did not know they were fighting. And we are at war. Someone has already declared war against you, against me, against all of mankind, against God's creation, against God's church, against God's army. We are in war. And you have got to acknowledge that conflict. The Bible teaches us that our enemy is subtle, that he is cunning, that he is deceitful. In fact, the Bible calls our enemy the father of lies. Here's what that means. It means he's really good at lying. The best way that Satan can destroy you is by getting you to be ignorant of the war that he has waged on your soul. So that you live oblivious and just kind of think, well, there's really, you know, I'm not in any spiritual battle. I'm not in any spiritual war. We have to acknowledge there is a war declared against you. Number two, we've got to identify the enemy. Do not be confused about who your enemy is. As I've already said, Satan is a master of disguise and a master of deceit. He doesn't want us to fight him. Now, Paul clearly told us in Ephesians that we, the church, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That's, here's what that means. We don't fight against each other. You're not at war with me. I'm not at war with you. We're not at war with people. Our war is with spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. 
But our enemy doesn't want us to know that. He wants us to think we're at war with each other. Rather than battling him, the enemy, he wants us battling each other. You will find that there are two ways the devil tries to destroy you and tries to destroy the church. Number one, he tries to get you to destroy yourself. That's step one. He wants you to destroy yourself. He wants you to make decisions that are destructive to your own soul. And this is where we have to wise up. He wants you to think that you're, he doesn't want you to realize the strategy that he's employed against you. He wants you to think you're fighting people. You'll find that when you start focusing on people, you start justifying your own sin. I pray the Holy Spirit will help you this morning to understand a little bit about the schemes of the devil. When you start focusing on the sins of other people, you start justifying your own sins. Yeah, I don't go to, you know, I I don't read the Bible, I don't pray, I'm I'm not really committed to any advancement of the kingdom of God, I don't do church, and here's why, here's why. Oh, I've done it all. I've seen it all. I know it all, preacher. No, you don't. You're a deceived fool. What you just said coming out of your mouth tells me you're a deceived fool. You've seen, see, this is what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to focus on something other than him. So on one hand, the devil works himself into the church, which, by the way, is filled with false converts. Follow me here on the strategy, folks. Jesus told us that there's tares amongst the wheat. There always will be. Here's what that means in real common English. In the church, there will always be people who think they're saved, who are looking saved, but are not. They're full-blown sinners. They are nothing more than hypocrites masquerading as Christians in the church. Now, you can get your little feelings hurt about that, or you can acknowledge This is reality. Now let's just think together. Let's reason together. If there are hypocrites in the church, sinners in the church, tares amongst the wheat, what do sinners do? They sin. They lie, they cheat, they steal, they manipulate, they hurt. So here's one of Satan's strategies to get you to be so ignorant and so foolish to think that there shouldn't ever be sin in the church. So now you see sin in the church, and you well, I'm not going to have anything to do with it. Somebody just got played. Somebody just took the bait. And now you are going to justify your sins and your lack of devotion to God and your faithfulness to the things of God because you're pointing to someone else who's doing the same stinking thing you are. We are in a war, folks. And I'm going to tell you something. Your enemy does not play fair. And we have got to wise up and recognize who our enemy is. We have got to identify him. We are not fighting against each other. And if 
He can't get you on step one where you start, you know, destroying your own self and making destructive decisions that ruin your own soul. He will try to get us to fight one another so that we're, you know, we're divided as we could ever be. The Bible teaches us that God is blessed when His children dwell in unity. So what Satan works to do is to undermine that and keep us from having unity. You've got to recognize that. When you see your heart starting to want to separate from the church and starting to want to separate from the people of God, starting to separate from the things of God, you've got to recognize somewhere down the line, you took the bait, man. And this is a war for your soul. You have got to start fighting You've got to rise up with some guts about you and be willing to fight for what is right. You've got to identify the enemy. You need to know your enemy. You need to study Satan. You need to learn how he works. You need to understand that he hates God. Above all else, Satan hates God. And Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. So Satan not only hates God, he hates you. He hates everyone. Listen, if you are here this morning and you are not truly saved, listen to me clearly. Satan hates you too. He hates you. He doesn't love you. He doesn't want what's best for you. You're deceived. He just wants you to stay blinded until you die so that you ultimately never turn to God and you split hell wide open and spend forever there. That's what he wants. He hates you. Satan is a creature of hate. He hates God. He hates you. He hates everybody. We need to know our enemy. The Bible says he is the God of this world. Little g, he is the God of this world. Here's what that ultimately means, that he controls the mentality, the mindset of the world. So if I'm a Christian... And I recognize there's a war that's waging for my soul. I need to understand that there are certain things about this world system that will try to lure me into it. And I have to recognize this is a ploy of the enemy, ultimately to pull me away from my devotion to God. You need to acknowledge the conflict. You need to identify the enemy. Number three, you need to determine your strategy. It's really here behind closed doors where the strategy is formed, that war has already been decided. It might not have been declared yet, but any time that there is a declaration that we are at war, here's what we know, that before that declaration, a few in, in the weeks leading up to it, all the generals and the people with information were gathering together and they were formulating their war plan. They were formulating their strategy. If you are going to be successful in this spiritual war that God's called us to, brothers, you have to have a strategy. Defensive and offensive. Defensive? You've got to understand the way that the enemy attacks you, sir. You have to recognize what are the things the enemy does to disable you from doing anything for the kingdom of God? What are the tactics that he uses in your life to hinder your spiritual life? Do you even know? 
I'm talking to you about the successful path to winning spiritual warfare, folks. We have got to have a strategy. We cannot, as the Bible says, we cannot be ignorant of the devil's schemes. We've got to know. You want to know one of the strategies at this stage of my life after 20 years of serving the Lord? You want to know one of the strategies the devil uses to uh, try, try to cut me off at the knees? Distraction. I can live my life in such a way with a church this size, with as active as we are in ministry, I could live my life in such a way where I constantly put out fires. Sometimes it's fires with people. Sometimes it's fires with administrative work. Sometimes it's fires with things go wrong and all of a sudden websites aren't working and we've got to figure out a solution to get it up and running. I mean, there is enough that I can literally put out a fire from the time I wake up and then I go to this fire and then that fire and then that fire and then that fire and I deal with this thing and that thing and then before you know it, it's bedtime and I'm exhausted and it's time to go to bed and while I'm going to bed, I'm thinking about the fires that get prioritized the next day and you just, I just live my life. Go, 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 go. And I'm distracted. I'm distracted from doing the more important things. All of a sudden, I become like Martha that's frustrated. How come everybody else ain't serving? What are they doing just resting at the feet of Jesus? We don't have any time for that, folks. Too much work to be done. And I have to remind myself, I can't do anything without God. And somehow, some way, just the same way God does it with the tithe, I've got to give God my time. And I've got to trust that God will do more in you know, the, the 90% of time that I give Him when I take 10% of that time and I just sit at His feet. This is a strategy that the devil uses in my life to keep me from my personal intimate time with God. What are one of the strategies that the devil's using in your life right now? You, I pray that you can identify at least one. I don't care who you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're saved or not saved. I don't care if you're a new Christian or you've been saved for the last 50 years. The devil has a strategy to destroy your life. What is it? And more importantly, what are you doing to defend against that? You know, in that one area that I just mentioned in my life, the, the defense, it's real simple. I have to be incredibly strategic and just say from this time to this time, I am not available. I mean, unless it's like somebody died, but if it's just so-and-so needs to meet with me, someone wants me to give them a call, you know, someone called in the office and I get a text that says, hey, this needs done. Like, I've got to recognize, I, they're, they're, I just have to be intentional. This time here is a time that I'm not accessible to everyone else because I need to be accessible to God. And I have to be intentional about it. I'm going to tell you something about spiritual warfare, folks. It's not actually all that difficult. It's just when we are unmindful of it, we don't recognize the strategies that are employed against us. We have no defensive plan. What are the things in your life that, that maybe there's things you shouldn't be looking at, things you shouldn't be listening to, people you shouldn't be around? And you know, you know that you know that you know that when you're around those people, you are more prone to sin against God and, and, and break the laws that God's put in your heart. You know who they are. 
But rather than being wise and rather than acknowledging that this is one of the areas in my life that the enemy's using to destroy me, you just keep going into the same situation over and over and over again. What are the things you're looking at that you need to stop? And I ask you the question, what are you going to do about it? Like, what is your strategy to stop? You have to determine your strategy. Satan will come at you. He will come at your family. He will come at your husband. He will come at your wife. He will come at your marriage, your children. And he'll even try to get you to think that you're all fighting each other. But not just defensive, brothers and sisters. We need to be on the offense in this spiritual war. We cannot be passive. This is one of the areas that I pray the Holy Spirit would do some stirring in our hearts this morning. God trained David's hands for war. We can, God is not a passive God. He is an active God. And we, brothers, us men of God need to be men of war who are active about our faith, who are not passive in how we live our Christian lives. For far too long. We have lived with the mentality that we are just going to hide in some cave. There's, there's two primary things that I think the devil has done to try to deceive the church in how we fight this battle. Number one, he tried to teach us or, or somehow crept in and tried to get us to believe that, that to be a good Christian, what we're really going to have to do is just hide from the world. We spend our lives like behind the wall in the cave, just barely peeking over at the world. Telling our kids, hide, hide. And then our kids grow up and eventually have to move out of the house and don't have any stinking clue how to exist in the very world that God placed them in. We have to learn how to engage the world. Jesus said to go into all the world. So mindset number one, we have to stop this mindset that somehow as Christians, we're supposed to be hiding. Stop the passive mindset. We have got to rescue the lost, brothers and sisters. We've got to go to where they, go, where they are. How can you be a fisher of men if you never go anywhere that men are and start fishing? Our mindset is so ridiculous. Our mindset on winning the lost has become like a fisherman who wants to just sit in his boat and expect fish to jump up out of the water and just land in the boat. Find me. Most fish don't want to be caught. You've got to find a way to get to where they are and to bring them in. So we need to be going. We need to stop the mindset that we're just trying to hide from everybody. And then here, here, here's the other way, that the, the second way that the enemy has really got into the church. He's got into the church, and he's got into this world, and he's tried to destroy God's creation of men. 
and I'm about sick of it. Just sick of it. We've been told that it's wrong to be a man. We've been told there's something wrong with being a man. That men are dangerous. Thank God men are dangerous. We were created to be dangerous. And the goal is not to take that danger out of us, but to teach us how to use it properly. We've had this whole garbage of toxic masculinity thrown at us, like somehow it's toxic to be a masculine man. How ridiculous is that? God created them male and female. And us men have been allowed to be pushed into a corner like somehow there's something wrong with being a man. Understand something. The devil knows. He fully understands and he fully comprehends that God's method, that God's way is to use men of courage, men of integrity, men of God to fight back his kingdom. And so what he tries to do is cut us off at the knees. Cause us to become cowards who won't stand for what is right. And we've watched it happen. I'm going to make a statement. It's going to make some people mad. But I'm making it because it's true. We're in the place we are today because too many men were too big of cowards to stand up against women. Who wanted to shame us for being men. And it is time that it stops. We've got to go on the offense, brothers and sisters. And we need men who are willing to stand up for what is right and are willing to go war, to war for our children, who are willing to say what everyone else won't say and do what everybody else won't do. How do we get to a place? How do we get to a place where our public school systems from coast to coast are hiring drag queens to come and read and perform to grade school students? It's an honest question that needs to be answered. How did it happen? Because we men were too big of cowards to be men. That's how it happened. It's exactly how it happened. We were too big of cowards to stand up and fight against what we knew was wrong. Because we're... Struggling around in the mud down there, playing around in the mud, trying to figure out how could we fight while not being called masculine. It is time that we men repent and become men again and stand up for what is right. How did we get to a place where they're letting boys and girls restrooms The answer is simple. Men quit being men. It's the answer. And I'm telling you something, folks. We have got to learn to stand up and be men again. And, and men, I want you to hear me 
right now I want to speak to men this morning. When I was putting together this sermon, there was one great concern that I had. And that was that somehow somebody would feel like I'm scolding us men. I am not. And if my tone has led you to believe that I'm trying to scold us as men this morning, I am not. We don't need to be scolded. We don't need to be shamed. But here's the problem, brothers. We've been lied to for the last 20 years and told there's something wrong with us if we want to live like men. And what you need to know is, it's okay to be a man. It's okay to have some guts about you and be willing to stand up for what is wrong. And it's okay to look folks right back in the eyes, even if those folks are women, and say, you are wrong. There is a God in heaven who has said, he is made male, he is made female, and nobody gets to say different, no matter how many of you want to get together and try to say otherwise, we will stand for what is right. It's okay to be a man. God created us, brothers and sisters. He created men to be men and women to be women. And there are some men that need to hear that. It's okay. Quit trying to figure out how to be a strong man and be weak simultaneously. Stop it. We've got to be on the offensive. We have to go into all the world and make disciples. We can't, Jesus said that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. Many of you have heard me say this. Nobody takes gates and carries them to battle. Gates are always used to keep people out of the fortress. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. In other words, they won't be able to stop us. Here's what that means, folks. We need to be going to the gates of hell and rescuing the perishing. We've got to go to where they are. And this takes courage. It takes guts. I remember I was put in a situation about two years ago. I didn't want to be in the situation, but this is the reality of war. We don't get a pick. The war. The school district here in Derby, Kansas, had voted that boys could use the girls' restroom. Now, they claimed that those boys using the girls' restroom had to think they were girls, but they're still boys. Boys are boys, girls are girls. My daughters told me that within the first couple of days of this switch, that you had boys just for fun going in the girls' restrooms, and that the school had to come on over the intercom and basically say this, attention students, boys cannot use the girls' restrooms. Only boys who think they're girls can use the girls' restrooms. How stupid is that? It's just stupid. Beyond stupid, though, and I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me because I'm preaching to you. I don't give a rip that I'm live right now. I don't care that this is recorded. I want you to hear me. Beyond that being stupid, it is devilish. It is evil. It is perverted. 
It is wicked. And the people who voted to do that stand on the side of the devil. It is wrong. And I was put in an awkward situation. I didn't like it any more than anybody else. Listen, I don't like conflict. But I would rather die on the battlefield standing for what is right than to live my life like a coward just keeping my life alive because I didn't say anything that offended anybody. And I had to go to the school board and I had to speak not as a pastor, but as a father. I have a God-given right to protect my children. And it's been two years. I cannot tell you word for word what I said, but there are some words that I know that I said and I want to share those with you. Publicly there to the school board, to the superintendent, I said these words. When you made this decision, you put a target on my daughter's back. And as a father, that calls me to war. Folks, I had no choice. I will answer to God for how I protect my family and for how I stand up for them. I'm not going to answer to the school board. I'm not going to answer to the public opinion of Derby, Kansas, and what people think about me. I'm not going to answer to what all the parents that didn't like what I had to say had to say. I'm going to answer to God for protecting my children, and I took the opportunity I had to stand up and make sure I didn't mince words. I didn't say anything that, well, he's kind of trying to say it's wrong. No, I want to make sure you fully understand you have put a target on the, my daughter's backs, and that means war. We need to call it what it is. It's evil. It's wicked. It's demonic. Men, it is okay to be men. And I'm going to tell you something. We're living in such a time of confusion. Even, even good men are confused and, and lack purpose. Because of all the things that God's placed in you to be who you are, to be one of his sons, to be a warrior for Jesus, you've been told for years, that's wrong. Be passive. Fight like a woman. Think like a woman. When you will be willing to embrace God's design for you as a man. You'll find purpose in your life like never before. War is never fun. Spiritual war is not fun. When I went and, uh, and spoke to the uh, school board and I thought what I was going to say and I knew that those words were going to be said a certain way uh, and taken a certain way, I'm telling you, my heart was pounding. I was mad. I wasn't just mad at what was happening, I was mad that I, was, I had to do something about it. I didn't want to be there. I, 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 it was not fun. But you know something? There's something that's higher than fun. Knowing that I am part of a God-given 
era of time that God chose me for such a time as this and that God has selected me to be a warrior in such a time as this. It's not always fun, but all of a sudden it gives purpose to my life that fun would never, ever do. It gives purpose to my life in knowing God has called me for such a time as this. And men, if there's anything I can do this morning, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to believe that you were called for such a time as this. We need men of God who are unafraid to be men of spiritual war who are unafraid to engage this culture and to stand up for what is right. You have to, after you've determined your strategy, you have to make your declaration. There is always a declaration at some point in time where war is declared. It is unashamed. I declare that I am standing for what is right. It is a public declaration. It is clear. We declare who we're fighting, who we are. And we need to declare who the enemy is. I said it earlier, we need to not be confused about who the enemy is. Listen, the enemy, again, it's not people, nor is it political parties. The enemy is not the Democratic Party. But the hero is not the Republican Party either. I'm on Jesus' side. Now, politically, listen to me. Politically, we need to, to vote the way we honestly believe with most have the greatest opportunity to further the kingdom of God and to further the principles of Scripture. But we, we have to understand who we are. We need, we, listen, we need Christian politicians. But you know something happened immediately after that, that meeting when I said the things that I said, when I looked the superintendent in the eyes, and I addressed him. I wasn't addressing the crowd. I'm telling you, I looked the man in the eyes, and I addressed him exactly with what I told you I said. Afterwards, I had a group of people come up to me, and here's exactly what they told me. You should be a politician. Have you ever considered it? We could really use you. I want to say it again. We need Christian politicians. But I am not a politician. I am a child of God Most High. And I'm just, I, I was there not because I was representing any political party, though it would be clear that I would be on the side of one and not on the side of another. I wasn't there for political reasons, folks. I was there because I believe this book and I have a God in heaven of who I'm going to answer to and I was standing for this that night. And we've got to know who we are. We've got to declare who, who we actually at war with. Could you imagine? Could you imagine had I, Joplin Emberson, personally made that decision, I was going to step away from teaching the Word of God, step away from pastoring God's people, step away from the platform God's given me to go be a senator for the state of Kansas? Is there anybody in here who thinks that's what the kingdom of God really needs right there? Now, see, I know my role in this kingdom, folks. And, we, I, and, we, and you need to know yours. I'm not against politicians. We need solid, good, God-fearing Christian politicians in there helping push laws that, that further the principles of Scripture. But I'm a preacher. And at the end of the day, brothers and sisters, we are Christians above all. 
I can assure you if the Republican Party wants to try to tell me that men can be women and women can be men, the Republican Party will hear from me too. Our job is to stand up against what is evil. Our job is to stand up against what is false. You need to make your declaration. And then finally, number five this morning, you need to go to battle. You know, eventually the talking must stop. There has to become a time, there has to come a time when we start storming the gates of hell and we get involved and we start doing what is right. I was talking with a brother last week about the reality that some people don't ever do anything at all and they say they just pray all the time. Like, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying about it, I'm praying about it, I'm praying about it. We should pray about it. But I'm going to tell you something. God does not always speak for some thundering voice from heaven. God does not always, in every situation, give you perfect, clear advice what you're supposed to do. Sometimes we just need to pray about it and go. Get to work for the kingdom of God. Figure out how you can use your life, your talents, your resources to further the kingdom of God. In fact, I would say the default mode needs to be, we're just going to go. We're just going to do it unless God clearly says, don't go. That's the default mode. We've got it reversed half the time. We're just going to sit around and we're going to wait to do anything and say we're waiting on God, we're praying about it. There has come a time when after you've prayed about it, You've got to go, man. You've got to get to work. Do something with the life that you have to further the kingdom of God, to rescue the perishing, to win the lost. Do something with what God has given you to do something with. Go to battle. I'm going to ask our worship team if you guys would get in place this morning. A war cannot be won without attacking. That simple statement is the primary reason that so many Christians fail here. You just refuse to go to war. You know what you need to get out of your life. You know what you need to do. You've got to be determined. You have to have a made-up mind. I think about Elijah when he said to all the people of Israel, why do you waver between two opinions? If God is God, then serve God. And if Baal's God, then go serve Baal. But <laughs> make up your mind. Make a choice. War is for the brave, and it is for the determined. You need to fight like your life depends upon it. You need to fight like the life of your family depends upon it. Men, we need to fight like the lives of the children in our communities depend upon it. The last question I'm going to ask you this morning, and I want you to honestly think about this question. If we don't, Who else will? Is there anybody else you can think of in the world that eventually they're going to stand up? And eventually they're going to say what we've been thinking all these years. 
eventually they're going to fight out against this wickedness. Who? Who is it? Who, who else is going to? We are the church. You know, the Bible teaches us that the world's going to wax worse, okay? It's not going to get better. I'm not talking about changing the world here. But I am talking about trying to change mine. Just because the rest of the world is eventually going to fall apart and grow worse, does that mean my neighborhood has to? Can we not be one of the small pockets where the men of God they fought back and held back what is evil. When I look at the wickedness that's happening right now, it's mind-blowing to me because, brothers and sisters, the church is the only entity on the earth that is holding back evil right now. That's it. And we're in the place we're in because the church hasn't done a real good job of it. And I know the Bible teaches that this is the path we're going to. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus, He has got to be coming soon. But my mind can't hardly fathom, if we are this wicked right now, how wicked will this world be when the church is raptured out of it? Like, my mind can't hardly fathom that. How wicked will it be when there's no restraint at all? I'm not ignorant. I know we're not going to change the world, but I'm telling you this. So long as I have breath in my lungs, so long as I've got a beating heart in this chest, I'm going to do everything I can to stand up against what is wicked and to save as many as I can. And I pray that some of you men this morning, that God will stir you to join me. I pray that some of you men this morning will be empowered to know it's okay to be a man. It's okay. We need men of war. And I'm going to tell you something. That's, we, we can't be weak. We can't roll over and just shut up every time somebody wants to accuse us of toxic masculinity. We need to be able to look people back in the eyes and tell them, shut up, number one. Number two, this is what the Word of God says. And number three, that's really all that matters. What does God say about it? What's God say about this matter? Because I'm one of His. I don't write the rule book. I don't get to decide what's right and wrong. I don't get to decide what laws we follow, what laws we don't. God is the author and finisher. It is His book. It is not my book. All that I can do is tell you what it says. You can hate me for it. You can shame me for it. You can call me every name in the book that you want to. But I'm going to stand for God, and I'm going to preach what is right until the devil either puts a bullet in my head or God decides to take me home. I'm going to stand for what is right.